Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. This episode of Summer in the Skies is dedicated to the memory of Nathan Hendrickson. Nathan was a huge supporter of Summer in the Skies from the very beginning. He even sent me a surprise gift once of some rocks glued in place to look like an alien head. When I talked to him, confused about why he'd sent me an alien head of rocks, he went on to explain that they were from just beyond the south gate of Area 51. He snuck under, grabbed them, and returned back to a safe distance from the gate, all while knowing that he was only doing this for me. I will never forget how much we laughed that day as he regaled me with the stories of going out to Groom Lake. He was just an incredible guy, and I always looked forward to our chats. I cannot express how thankful I was to have someone like Nathan in my corner from the very beginning. I only hope he's now finding those answers he's always sought in life. I'm sending all my thoughts and prayers out to all of his family and friends. Rest in peace, Nathan. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here. And I am so excited about today's interview with Christopher Harold Wells. Chris is a musician well-versed in the art of blending many different genres into his sound. Born in Philadelphia by the way of North Carolina, Wells' family tree has generations of musicians within it, making a career in music inevitable for Chris. He formed his first rock band, Peasants of the Apocalypse, at age 19 and went on to perform in bands such as Apollo Heights and Lovehead. He's also had the opportunity to open for bands like Metallica, Everclear, and Def Leppard, and he also got to share the stage with activist, rapper, and singer-songwriter Lauren Hill. His latest endeavor is a solo project called The Neverlutionaries, for which he blends together his rock and roll roots with his love for blues, gospel, soul, jazz, and psychedelic shoegaze. Neverlutionaries has afforded him the opportunity to release a jam-packed self-titled LP. So today, Chris talks to me all about making the record, about some of the unexplained events he's experienced in his life, and how those events have affected his outlook, both on life and, of course, how it's impacted his music. This is an interview unlike any other we've had before. 
It's truly a cosmic conversation with a rock star. Enjoy. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Thank you for having me, Ryan. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Excited. That's it's going to be fun. It's dear to my heart. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, there's been a lot of um, a lot of musicians coming out lately, admitting that they've either had like UFO sightings or experiences. Um, right. You know, to my knowledge, Post Malone recently came forward. Uh, one of the guys from Oasis and then um, Machine Gun Kelly of all people, all saying that they've had brushes with the paranormal or UFOs. And when I heard your album and then found out that, oh my gosh, this guy's an experiencer, I knew I had to have you on. So we're definitely going to dive into um, a lot of different things tonight. But I want to talk about the album, first and Mm -hmm. foremost, uh, that recently dropped of yours um, with your band, The Neverlutionaries. So um, before we do that, could you give us maybe the origin story of how you first uh, got interested in music? Um, maybe a little about your musical journey and uh, what led you to pick up the instruments? Oh, well, um, I have musicians on both sides of my family. Literally, my my father played, um, my grandfather played uh, violin and piano. So there's literally musicians you know peppering my family tree and i just started performing early on just doing little musical stuff uh we were kind of required to do at least one per year and i kind of found myself wanting to volunteer to do it i just really enjoyed it so i guess from that basic enjoyment of it i got you know i got a kiss record when i was a kid and Heard a couple of big riffs and big chords, and I've been knocked silly ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love hearing kind of the like pinnacle album that got someone into yeah. these things. Everyone seems to have one. Um, well, you did mention musicals. That's mm-hmm. something that caught me uh, caught my attention because I don't know if you know this, but I'm a uh, a playwright here in New York City. Okay. I I went to school for theater. I've done musicals. I was in a um, a very short-lived off-Broadway musical called Idol, based on American Idol. We got Ooh. the worst reviews ever, man. But hey, it's a talking point in auditions for sure. But um, <laughs> yeah, I read that you did some musicals back in the day. Um, can you remember any of those roles? Or- you know, it, it, it was such a long time ago. It was literally when, like, really, really super, super young. Yeah. And I remember doing, like, Bye Bye Birdie and West Side Story and Oklahoma. And we had to get up every morning at the crack of dawn and rehearse and then go to school and then rehearse afterwards. But I loved it so much. And it was such a, it didn't, it never seemed like work to me. I never got nervous. Mm -hmm. I never got, it just seemed very easy, almost too easy, you know. And That's so, cool, yeah. I guess from there, I just got into, you know, into other kinds of bands and went to military school in Virginia for a year and got into punk rock and stuff like that. And uh, that really turned everything because there was like big pop songs and then punk and having those two things mixed together and having a love for it. And then the riffage from Kiss coming into it at the beginning. But you're like, damn, that's good. 
Yeah. Because it's, you know, sometimes whether the art is to your taste or whatever, sometimes you can't deny beautiful art and wonderful art. You know, it kind of speaks for itself. No matter what you're into, you have to at least admire the effort they wanted to create it. Absolutely. Yeah. And appreciation for sure. Um, well, I did read that as you kind of um, progressed in your your musical journey, some of the noted people you've worked with. Um, Lauren Hill was one of the first ones that stood out to me. What was that experience like working with her? It was really cool. You know, it was the spur of the moment thing. I was actually in New York City hanging with some friends of mine and she gotten wind of this little, you know, group they had going and said, Hey, you know, I'm looking to, you know, for a new band to do some shows. And I think Coachella was one of the shows originally that that was supposed to be a part of, but had never ended up coming into fruition. But uh, the, the short of it is we ended up flying out. She flew us out to LA and put us up. And uh, we hung out for uh, about nine days or so. And we learned all all these songs and Bob Marley songs that she wanted to do. Then she would kind of come into the rehearsal and check us out and, you know, give her input or whatever. And uh, it was really interesting. You know, it was definitely one of these times where you're like, oh, wow, I think I made it. I made it. I made it. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it's like, Nine days later, it's like I'm back where I was. I'm like, well, wow, that was great. Yeah, yeah, man. But, I can imagine it's a flurry. Like see, you know, you you kind of get put back yeah. into your shoes, right? Yeah, but I, I I look at it like this: it's like when something's in your heart and in your soul, and it's a part of your being. Not doing it is a bigger pain than the pains that happen that you go through while you're trying to make it happen. You know. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're not doing it or doing something else that you're really not feeling, but you're stuck doing, that pain is greater than any pain of, you know, or dues that one would have to pay. You know, for me, I feel I feel lucky. I, I love it so much. And, you know, there's, you know, it's feast or famine. Sometimes it's really great and other times it's not. And especially in times like this, you know, I was about to, you know, go over to go over to France, you know, my uh my drummer, Chris McGrew, and I, we had plans to go to Paris and had stuff booked and we're meeting with some people over there to make some things happen and, you know, had great plans, you know, but as they say, the, you know, the best plans of mice and men often go astray or whatever. Yeah. Or don't freaking happen and then you end up getting, you know, homeland bound with a pandemic. But, uh, you know, it's been an interesting journey, though, for sure. Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Even, like, the weird stuff that have like, why am I here? Because it was kind of heartbreaking because I thought that we were going to go and go on the road, play Coachella, do all these cool shows, and that wasn't to be the plan, you know. So, mm. you know, I guess life will kind of have its, uh, you know, you, you're doing the New York City thing. I, You know what's up. I know the game. The highs and the lows. It's like you're skiing in the Alps one day and the next day you're down in the gutter. Tell me about it, man. I, um, you know, I've done some television work in the past and, um, you know, I'll be on set and it's awesome. Like you feel like you're, you're doing something you've always dreamed of doing. You're living in the moment. And then the next week I'm back here in New York and I'm, uh, you know, 
mopping the floors at the bar that I work at during the day. And it's just, it's a very humbling experience. And I mm-hmm. think that that could be said of any artist, whether it's a musician or a writer or a painter, you know, you will have those, those uh, existential moments of creativity and, and rewarding mm-hmm. moments of people being like, I love your work. And then the next thing you know, you know, nobody knows who the hell you are. You're just another cog in the machine. And that's just, that's the way it is. But it's good to hear, you know, that um, that you find music as a release and a way to kind of move on. Like, oh, you may no, not be doing it live, right? It's but, been my best friend. It's been my, yeah. you know, my psychiatrist. It's been, the you know, besides, you know, a few close family members, like the main constant in my life, you know, it, it takes up the biggest place in my heart and in my soul. You know, yeah. it, it's what, you know, it's it's what I am. Literally, it's in my blood from both sides. And when I've tried to kind of do other things and really put my, develop my energy towards them, it just didn't work out. It was like things always pushed me back towards this, <laughs> you know, and even yeah. doing this record, just the happenstance on, you know, the, studio time in Hyatt street coming available and certain guys that I've wanted to play with were in town and, you know, everything just fell into place. And this record just, you know, of these songs, some of them I've had sitting around for a minute and some others were kind of uh, created around it to kind of compliment some songs that had already been written. But, uh, you know, it's a really exciting just to, even during these times to be able to have something to focus on instead of looking at the TV and wondering what this bizarre, you know, person's going to say, or what this person's going to say, <laughs> or what's the new news. You know, it's like you, you turn it on and you're like, I, yeah. Okay. We can watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what world ending thing are we going to hear about today on Twitter? I totally get it, man. Um, yeah. But, well, but just to create during this time has been, it's been a godsend. I to- I completely understand that. I mean, doing this podcast for me has been my outlet, my release, my way of create creating something to put out into the world when, you know, kind of the world, like you said, has been put on hold for mm-hmm. people in all walks of life. Um, and it's just, it's an incredible time to be living in, um, in good and bad ways. But um, let's talk about the album. Um, could you tell us a little about the process of making the album. Um, You mentioned where you did the recording. I'd love to hear more about that. And what kind of makes up the band, the Neverlutionaries? I love the name first and foremost, but um, yeah, tell us a little about the history of the band and how the album came to be, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, essentially the history of the band, uh, most of the record, most of the parts on the record were, except for the drums, which were played by Chris McGrew and um, Nick Baglio most of the other parts I did myself on a couple of the tracks, namely Ariana. I had uh, Ryan Hickey, who is an awesome, awesome pianist uh, at his uh, piano vibe to it. And also Johnny Extell played guitar on it. And I had my buddy, Kenny Olson, who's played with a bunch of people from George Clinton, to Kid Rock. He plays with a bunch of folks, but he played a lead on something. And so it's essentially me having these songs around 
and really wanting to get them out and then having these awesome players that could kind of add their bit of their energy and their vibe to it to kind of make it a little, you know, push it to another place that necessarily my energy may have not taken it to, you know? So like what, you know, Kenny brings to it, you know, his vibe is different than mine. And so it kind of, it's a nice little surprise when everything comes together so nicely, but most of it's me. And, uh, Recorded it at Hyde Street, Studio C, uh, a.k.a. Wally's Hideout, where um, back in the day, that's where the Grateful Dead would go and do their records. And, you know, they would hole up there because they felt it was like one of their recording homes away from home, per se. And just the amount of amazing energy and the amount of uh, awesome artists that have recorded there. It's a very hallowed and sacred it's like a musical church of sorts, you know, you can just walk through the halls and you can just feel like, you know, like the dead Kennedys recorded there and Crosby Stills and Nash and, you know, digital underground, you know, uh, Michael Franti, Green Day, you know, just through all different, different times, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's been a constant there and just to be kind of uh you know, able to record at such a historical place that I also, you know, was recording there with my friends. And, you know, every literally everyone that worked on this record, it wasn't like I got some, you know, hey, session guy over here. They were people that I cared about and I have love for. So you're getting so much more on that, you know. Right. They they care about your your product you know they have an investment in it because they have a relationship i get that i i i i would tend to um i guess presume that some musicians who go into a studio with you know someone on keyboards they've never met in their life but is there for a paycheck like they're not gonna be as they're not gonna give it what you really want am i correct in assuming that no it really depends on the caliber of musician you're dealing with if you're dealing with a professional you know you know you've been in you know the, the theater game yeah. and just doing a podcast. And when you're that person, you have to bring it regardless. And it's like, I played shows in front of three th- people and, and then 30,000 people. And I play the same with each show, you know, no matter how many people are there. And I think you can have guys that show up that just bring it, <laughs> you know, because you can't fake the producer out because you're not going to get something he wants. And they have you there because they know that you're capable of doing this task and doing it, you know, with a certain level of professionalism and a certain out, you know, outcome, you know, positive outcome. So you're not going to get too many uh, people in there clowning around. Well, you mentioned Ariana. Now this is one of the first songs that really stuck out to me on the album. I know it was one of the first singles, released and um i loved this description that you've given for the song of being a a concept of a dream love um it just sounds so romantic to me i'd love could you maybe tell us a little about the process of um writing that song and what it means to you because that one really resonated with me oh, i'm glad it did um i guess from a lyrical vibe i was thinking about just if I met my soulmate, what would she look like? What would her voice sound like? 
what would her energy be like? You know, when I got into like almost a meditation of that feeling and how to take that feeling and translate it into sound. So I wanted the guitarist to be swirly and almost dreamlike. So I used an Ebo, which is um, a guitar effect that you hold over the guitar strings and it vibrates. Uh, it makes the string oscillate so you can actually hold a note on them. Like, it's like a little violin noise. A lot of really cool songs that uh, it's been used on that you probably love. But um, that helped me mimic the swirly kind of feeling and a, a nice bouncy kind of bass line. It was just kind of laid back and grooving. And then uh, Chris McGrew put this really laid back, kind of carefree in the pocket beat to it that just kind of makes it really, really flow. And that was uh, that's def- that was definitely a moment. That was one of the first songs we tracked, actually. Uh, because I'm usually a... At the core of me, I'm a, a rock guy. I love, you know, the big guitars and stuff, but I've always been a sucker for a really awesome ballad that's done well and that's tactful and that, you know, that gets to the point of making you feel. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, and you're right. That um, it, it was definitely one of the more uh, uh, ballad-esque songs, I would say, on the album, but that's what I like about this LP, Chris, is... Um, it's it's all over the place in a good way. You know, some some albums, if it's a concept album, boom, you've got like a story front to back. Um, some, like the style is exactly the same every song, which is fine. It's okay. There's a place for that. But with this one, man, I mean, you did. You had a little of something in every song in a different style. Um, it was so refreshing, especially right now, man. I wow. mean, we're living in this world where everything's like, standing still and mundane and kind of um you can kind of predict what the day is going to be like but i remember putting your album on when uh your producers were so kind to send it to me and um every song i was like ready for something new so um you're right there were some yeah the um what were the other uh ticking away and everybody's losing their minds were the other two that really stuck out to me so i highly Mm -hmm. suggest all of my viewers and listeners check out those songs um on the album as well not to cut yeah, you yeah, off please, ironically please. everybody's losing their minds was written before the pandemic <laughs> that was a let, question let, i was just to let you let's, just to let everyone know because that would be kind of artistically irresponsible i think <laughs> I, mean, I mean i was kind of juggling with it making it the first single instead of ariana but you know i figured ariana had such a universal appeal to it and just a nice vibey, you know, way to kind of come into things, you know, that we can get funky with it later, you know, but for now let's kind of ease into it. Right. That's definitely what it did for me. And I mean, some of the guitar riffs you had throughout uh, were awesome. And um, your voice, man, I can tell you come from a musical background because your vibrato is insane. Um, That's my musical theater coming out in me right now. Thank um, you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was awesome um well i wanted to ask you about ariana um the the idea of dreams i also in doing a little research on you um ariana being a song about dreams there was something else that really stuck out to me mm-hmm. about dreams in an article that i read about you um i believe it was for ah, a, okay. a tattoo website 
And um, it was about one of the tattoos you got from a dream you had. Would you be willing to maybe share a little about that with me? I find that fascinating. Yes, I had this interesting dream where I guess it was me in the future because I was a lot older and I was on this mountain and there was lightning and all this stuff around me. And I guess at the time, from what I can see, it was that triangle with the eye in it. And then I got like a tribal thing around it because that was as close as I could kind of recollect it and bring it into, you know, description to have someone do it. But as time has gone on, I've had the dream a couple of times before i mean again and it turns out being what ended up being the symbol that i use it was like a crown with a lightning bolt at the bottom of it so at first it just looked like this really weird tribal thing but then as time shifted and i've had a dream like i've gone back there and it, the last time i remembered it it kind of looked like that so even with coming up with the idea for i wanted a strong image and that image in some form or fashion has been in my life for years and it's morphed. And this is, you know, even I even have it on my guitar at, oh, on the cool. top of the headstock, you know? And so it's kind of what it's morphed into being. And I don't know what, what it means, you know, because I don't know what our subconsciouses are, you know, the, if we could figure out the messages, then we'd be millionaires, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, man. I Well, that was going to be my next question for you. What do you, what stock do you put in dreams? I know some people just think there's nothing to them. It's just, you know, random spurts of your brain going through, or some people think it's another plane we live on and alternate reality. But um, what power do you give dreams? If I may ask. I think it's honestly probably a little bit of everything you mentioned. I'm sure that there's some that are insignificant that are just born from fear. I'm sure that are some that are brought in from the cosmos to give us hints. I'm sure others are, and this is something that I have when I sleep sometimes. It's like, I, I guess it's like my, I have like these little astral travels. Sometimes I feels like I've got go places, mm-hmm. not all the time, but when I come back, I'm very, worn down in my spirit like the next day it's very strange so i take a lot of stock into it but it really depends on a what you believe in mm-hmm. you know that you're you know where your faith value is is the biggest thing uh i'm someone that you know i'm not a religious person i'm a spiritual person i believe that there are probably many higher powers you know that but I believe in something greater because I've seen miracles and, you know, I've, I've seen things, you know, that we'll get into that I can't explain them and other people can't either, you know? So at this point, I'm not going to, you know, doubt something simply because I don't have the knowledge. I'm just lacking the knowledge to know and confirm. Gotcha. Well, you opened the door. So let's go there, man. Let's definitely go there. Um, The unexplained. Uh, I don't know any of these experiences. I We haven't talked much off air yet about them. So I'm really excited to hear whatever you're willing to share. I mean, I've heard that you've had a little bit of everything. So um, whatever you want to share with us, I have, I'm here, man. I am here for it. I'm ready to hear about it. Um, 
I don't know. What you you take the lead on this one? What are some of the the um, experiences that you would consider uh, out of the ordinary or unwanted in your life? Well, well, interestingly enough, I've had a few experiences happen in one town. There's a little town in um, North Carolina called Wilmington, and it's a quaint little town. It's old, has a history kind of a dark history in some places. And uh, I've actually had an instance where there's a old pool hall downtown where uh, some famous pool guy broke some record of knocking in a gazillion balls or something. But this place used to be a hotel and a hotel burned down. And I was actually there you know, years and years later, I mean, the hotel, I think it burned down around the turn of the century. And there was rumors that there was, it was used for uh, tunnels for the Underground Railroad to transport slaves to freedom. And uh, a friend of mine's band was playing there probably about 12 years ago or so. And we were hanging out in one of the rooms and one of the guys that worked at the bar was telling us, it's like, Hey, this place is haunted. There's actually people that haven't gotten their checks that they were supposed to get and pick up because the place freaked them out so bad. They never wanted to come back. And we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So we end up going to this one room and we opened this door and it was like a short door. And they said, this was one of the doors that possibly was used for one of the tunnels. And the guy opened this door, and you could just feel this frigid, musty wind and vibe and energy come in. And it felt like we violated someone's space that was sacred to them because you, there, there was like a thickness in the air. You know, it was, uh, you could almost cut it with a knife. And then what was interesting, there was a, Right outside the door, there was a young lady, and she was getting sick in the bathroom. I guess her boyfriend was helping her with her hair. And the boyfriend said, right around the same time we opened that up, something had kind of pushed her over and knocked her into the side where there was like a where the toilet was. And I guess like the toilet roll was over here, and it knocked her that way. And that was one of about two experiences I've had there and just seeing like little shadow people at the end of the night because it was a venue. So I would play there mm-hmm. and we'd be doing the loadout and this one part would be pretty dark and you can kind of tell when everyone's going home and we're just waiting to get paid and all that stuff. So it's empty. And then you just feel like people looking at you and you just feel it. And uh, also in the same wonderful little town and this actually happened both times it happened with the groups of people. We were at this pier and we're just out uh, standing in the sand, you know, watching the sunset or whatever. And out in the distance, we saw, it was like two things come out the water very quickly, like silverish, then back in, then back out, then and gone. And we all just kind of, looked at each other because it's one of these times that 
I'm glad I was not by myself because I just never would have told the, I never would have told a soul about it, but I was there with four people, you know, and we all saw it and we were all kind of like, what in the heck was that? But I'm not going to say it was, it would make sense, you know, that it would be alien, but I'm expecting it's probably some kind of government stuff that they have because there's a lot of military bases near there. Mm-hmm. And you know what do they say? Like what is it? Like eighty percent of the oceans, you know, of the world is the ocean or something. Seventy yeah. percent, something like that. So there's no telling what's going on down there, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it's not. Sometimes I think would people come all this way to like you know discover a crackhead? You know, like they come <laughs> from like a million years away, like we've traveled far to meet your people and we find, you know, this guy, little Kenny over here and little, little Kenny has a, a problem and that's their person that they think, you know, I, right. So <laughs> all that being said, it's like, I don't, I think it's more of like a dimensional thing where yeah, yeah, yeah. rifts in time, like places like the, Bermuda Triangle that have high mag, you know, like kind of super strong magnetic pulses or something. And mm-hmm. that causes, that might cause a optimal positioning for something to appear that needs that to do its thing. Right. So, right. Yeah. That's an interesting theory, man. Cause I mean, a lot of people, uh, that look into this UFO phenomenon. Uh, they they have so many theories on what it could be, other than just alien. You know, that's all we ever hear as quote unquote UFO people or UFO researchers is, uh, oh, so you're saying aliens have visited our planet? And I'm one of the first to always say, no, I have absolutely no idea what UFOs are. They could be, like you said, a sort of rift in time or. Um, they could literally be time travelers. Maybe they're coming back to check on us or whatnot, or maybe they are interdimensional. Um, I think the theories are so vast and so, um, you know, immeasurable that we'll probably never know what those things were that came out of the water that you saw. Um, I, I think one know? theory is they're, if they were from the future or something like that, they're probably coming back for like comic relief. <laughs> You know, they're sitting there like on a Friday, like, hey, you guys want to go back to 2020? Check that year out. <laughs> you guys want to laugh? Let's check this out. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much out there. Like, even uh, I was in Virginia about four or five years ago, and my girlfriend and I were riding on Shore Drive, which is right next to the uh, the bay. And it's about 10 o'clock at night, so I'm driving, and it's pretty much the road, then some beach houses, the beach, and then the bay. So I'm looking to the left towards the bay, and I see this huge orange orb. And I didn't say anything at first. I just kind of looked and was like, oh, okay, I'm tripping. I didn't see that. And then I looked again. And then I asked her, I said, hey, do you see that? You mean that big orange thing over there? It's like, yeah. And at first I thought it might have been the sunset 
but it was 10 o'clock at night and there was no reason for it was just odd just really odd and at, at this point for another you know idea to be debated over it's our vanity of ourselves to think that in this whole vast universe that we're the only ones we're the only ones of this reality mm-hmm. but I'm sure there are other things going on like I, when I think about Roswell and you think about the advances in science that have happened and you check the timelines on crashes and certain things and then certain interesting biblical moments that happen in certain pictures they have like little spaceships and stuff like that mm-hmm. and even in cave drawings and stuff there's like little dudes with little helmets on and little oxygen right. things and in the pyramids there's a dude with he has you know he's in the spaceship too you know he's just hanging out yeah so maybe there's something but i can also understand why look at the amount of idiots we have here just look at what was happening a few weeks ago in our capital <laughs> these irresponsible people doing that kind of stuff. Could you imagine what those knuckleheads would do if you told them this, like everything you've been taught? Because when you start talking about life on other planets, you're talking about taking someone's religion that they've been taught and raised on and a base their value system upon. And you're talking about taking everything they believe in mm-hmm. and breaking it in half. Right. And then giving it back to them and asking them how it feels for it to be broken. So that's a part of why they almost would have had to, even if they know something. And at some point, you know, 10, 15 years, we're going to know for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I think they've been trying to desensitize us for a long time. You know, just the amount of media that's there and people are like it's accepted and people are like there's several kinds and they probably slide in one real picture with a bunch of the fakes and and then there's the whole thing with valiant thor you know and all this stuff and I <laughs> you know your a, ufo history man i'm, I, I'm I very impressed. A rock band, you know <laughs> <laughs> right What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love that hypothetical um, question of what would happen if we did finally, the government comes forward. And, and I hate saying the government because it's not some monolithic thing. You know, it's hundreds of thousands of people working different jobs and sectors within this government. But um, let's say the president of the United States come, comes out and says, hey, uh, we're being visited. We've been visited since Roswell happened. Uh, we didn't think the public could handle it, so we, we kind of kept it quiet. You're right. I mean, half the country would be like, yay, bring it on. And the other half would be like, uh-uh, like, let's build a wall like the around the whole world. <laughs> It would be just like the elections in the same makeup of people, the same makeup of people that would be freaking out because you, you're going against their religion. You're you know, right. And, it and it every, does. Um, they've been taught and they go and every Sunday, you're just taking all that. And, you know, what are they to think, you know, and that's, yeah. that, that's the main reason why if that does exist, it has to be kept quiet because it would just be too many unstable people because everybody's on medication or drunk or on something at this point. Then you just have all these tore up people out there just running around half out of their minds and someone trying to maintain control over this. It's like the balance would be, well, Hey, why don't we just go ahead and get some technology from these people, get some Velcro, so Chris's yeah. collar can stay up, you know, <laughs> and some great inventions like that. Right. Or just yeah. sit there and destroy people's spiritual lives because that that's at the end of the day, that's the biggest responsibility. And I've never really even thought about it until just kind of saying it out loud just now, but it's that that would be the biggest thing. It's not like, Ooh, are they going to be nice? Will they stink? You know, you know, do they like music? You know, can I jam with one? Can I get one to play keyboards in my band? Is one already playing keyboards in my band? No, that <laughs> kind of thing. So you can kind of go around, but at the end of the day, I don't think people are ready to handle it. Yeah, it's hard, man. It's, uh, you know, they say there's two, the two biggest questions in life are, why are we here? Um, and are we alone? So either of those questions being answered is going to profoundly change people. It's going to be a paradigm shift that some can probably adapt to, but many probably won't be able to. So I completely agree with you. Um, well, I guess moving back, if we pull it back into the whole alien UFO thing, um, abductions, I'd love to get your 
your opinion on this. I know you've looked into, um, you know, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, Travis Walton. Those are two of my personal favorites because of documentation and whatnot. But um, what do you think of the abduction phenomenon? Again, are we dealing with aliens kidnapping human beings and experimenting on them? Or is it all something in the mind? I think it's the government, to be honest with you. Really? Okay. Doing mind control stuff because the idea that if they're barbaric enough just to come and just take experience, you know, take people up and put like cigarette burns on people and stuff like that, it's kind of hokey a little bit. So the whole thing, the whole abduction thing sounds a little hokey, you know? I think what's less hokey is like the thing of Eisenhower meeting with the tall whites while he was going to have some dental work in California. Now right, that makes right. a little bit more sense to me. Than, Why is that? Than, well, because it's not someone coming and popping up in your backyard and like, okay, we're going to fly you back up here. I think they would be able to ha- kind of have something worked out where with the government, they would be able to get more than enough people that they could like, you know, get them to donate their cells and do it for free rather than having to snatch them up against their will. Yeah. You know, just throw them some Burger King or something like that. And they'll go up. <laughs> right. Think of the, uh, think of the ethical, you know, dilemmas with, if, if we did find out aliens have been visiting us and they were doing these abductions, like how do we hold them accountable? These are, you know, uh, the people are not okay with them doing these things to them. So I, think I can't even imagine. I think that I think that whole thing is too easy. I think mm-hmm. the the fact that you know something probably did crash here. Maybe, maybe if it did, you know, but I don't know. That's it's yeah. it's such a it's such a tricky thing because within a couple of degrees you go from sounding like you have sense to sounding crazy as hell <laughs> welcome to my life yeah you know so That's it's such a good point it, it's really interesting but i do but I, this the abduction thing i'm just kind of like the travis walton thing you know i think maybe they all took a bunch of acid and travis got lost and he got really lost and they were embarrassed, and then he kind of showed back up. They're like, "Dude, if you ever come back, you know, or something like that." It wasn't, you know. Yeah. Right. Hey, that's that's just as viable as you know, aliens coming down and taking him because we don't know. And I think that's a good point to bring up: is we can theorize till the end of time about all these things. Um, mm-hmm. Will we ever get the answers? Maybe, like you said, maybe we'll get a glimpse of the answer someday, but I'm with you. I, I kind of, I'm open to every possibility for UFOs, for supernatural, for um, cryptids, which is another thing I'd love to get your opinion on of being anything because right. we don't know. Um, no, I, I'll tell about- you what, something I do know. Okay. I had a, I've had a couple of interesting experiences with uh, spirits, I would say. Oh yeah. There if you're willing to share, I'd love to hear yeah. There is an old neighborhood in Raleigh, North Carolina called the Mordecai area. And at one point they owned a bunch of slaves and I'm sure people kind of met a negative demise there. And I've been to a couple of houses that were on the property and actually 
because they're spread out over a couple of blocks because it was a rather sizable plantation. But I've been to a couple of the houses and had the feeling of someone behind me whispering in my ear, pushing on me, and just not being very happy, very negative. And I'm thinking it's probably people that were maybe slaves or something. And it just is a very sad energy. And uh, another interesting thing I had happen was I was at uh, girlfriend's a few years ago for Christmas holidays, I believe. And we weren't married at the time, and nor have I been. But we weren't. I wasn't allowed to stay in the room with her because that wouldn't have been a proper thing. And I slept on the couch. About a year or so before, uh, she'd lost her mother, and I never got to meet her. But I guess that night, her mom decided, you know, she waited too long to meet me, and so she was going to meet me. So I'm laying there on the couch, and it's about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I distinctively feel someone above me. And I feel a little cool. And then I hear, can you see me? Can you hear me? And I looked up and I could see an outline of a person. And I could kind of tell who it was because I'd seen pictures of her mom. And uh, I got up and then went to her room. And I said, hey, babe, by chance, were you just in the... in the living room, you know, of course I'm waking her out of a dead sleep. And she's like, no, what are you doing? And man, I slept right there on her <laughs> at the foot of her. <laughs> wow. I slept right there with her because I, I know what I heard. And it was one of these nights where, you know, I wasn't adding cocktails or anything like that. And, you know, it wasn't, it was just so strong and from what I was told, she would have been, you know, kind of interesting. Interest. It would have been kind of weird for someone just to be in the house hanging out. Right. You know, so maybe that kind of, you know. But then the next morning, I talked to her father, and I told her father what happened. And he went, yeah, she's here. I hear her. Wow. Okay. So, so that was wow. that. And would that make sense? I mean, some people... You know, I've always been fascinated with that more than anything. You know, just the whole thing of reincarnation and being an old soul. You know, I I said some kooky stuff to my mom when I was younger about, you know, being a spy for God and choosing her to be my mother and stuff like that. And stuff that most four-year-olds just don't kind of just randomly say. Right. So. Yeah. That's, um, well, the whole spirit thing. I'd love to know what you personally feel. I mean, are we dealing with the disembodied spirit of an individual? Is this a an energy that just seems to stay in the house because she lived there? Um, and yeah, or have we lived these lives before in different vessels, I guess is a way to put it too. You mentioned, you know, you said those things at four years old. What four-year-old does that, you know, mm-hmm. unless they, they know inherently that they've lived before um yeah i guess the overriding question what are we dealing with when it I, comes I think to it's these an, another all of the above question because i okay. do think that sometimes just like 
for instance, if you're cooking something in the kitchen, like popcorn in a microwave, perfect example, and you burn the crap out of it, it's going to make your kitchen reek. And you could put all the air freshener, incense, whatever, it's still going to be there. I think that energy through experience does the same thing. Like if someone has a very intense experience or leaves this mortal coil in a very odd way, that's very intense. then just as that smoke can permeate something that energy can permeate. And sometimes it repeats itself because sometimes I've seen things that are, you could tell they're what they call residual hauntings, where it's just something that's kind of, you're just catching like a, a commercial. Mm-hmm. You're just seeing it on a really screwed up television that you didn't know you were watching. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but other stuff can be intelligent. And I think that things can be upset and not ready to go or feel that they still have work to do. And maybe, you're given a choice, you know, like a lot of people say they go to the light, but a lot of people, maybe they want to hang here and they're, they have a place that they loved and they want to go back there. And that's where they were the happiest. You know, I was actually watching um, a show about uh, hauntings in the San Francisco Bay area. And they were talking about going to the war field and they actually took a picture with a flare camera and it actually showed this, a face and you could see the eyes, you could see the mouth and you could tell from the color of it, that it was extremely cold. Hmm. And then they went back three years later and they caught the same face again. Ooh. Oh, that gave me chills. But, But so much to the point where, they were able to act. They were actually able to figure out who it was. There was like a guy that was a, a photographer in the area. And I guess he was taking pictures of the Ramones concert. I mean, of the marquee while the Ramones are playing back in the day, drunk driver runs him over, but he was always there hanging out at the Warfield, taking pictures of bands in the dressing rooms, hanging out, participating, getting the vibe on, you know, so uh, it made sense that he would want to go there because he would still want to be in that energy. Right. But the stuff like that makes a lot, that makes sense. I would, you know, what you, you know, and, but it also depends on your faith. You know, if yeah. you're someone that doesn't have faith, that's why it's, it's so tricky where this can go because it all depends on at the end of the day, what you believe in your belief system. There's some people that are agnostic and think that, when you die, it's it, it's black, and that's it, and that's it. That's that. Some people think that people that are religious, that it's fear-born and just gives them something to believe in to kind of quell their fear of their mortality and the afterlife and the unknown, because everyone knows that you know, we don't like to. The unknown scares us. It's like that lack of information, hence being called the unknown and not the known. oh you're so right that fear of the unknown i think is what keeps people from looking into these things i mean Mm -hmm. i uh here in the ufo world i live in 
I think a lot of people refuse to accept that it's possible because they don't want it to be, even though scientifically uh, and mathematically, the statistics point to, yes, there is other life out there. It's a question of whether it's visited us or not. And is that what these UFOs on our planet represent? Um, But you bring up a good point. It really is the lens, I think, in which you look at these phenomenon through. If you are Mm -hmm. religious, you might have a alien abduction experience that you think was demonic, you know, or like, like you know, or if you have a shadow person or um, sort of a miraculous experience, you know, you, you survive a car crash. You definitely should not have. Um, If you're religious, you're probably going to look to God for, for thank you. You know, thanks for doing that. When someone else is just going to be like, no, man, it was just sheer chance that you survived that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the angle was just off and go the scientific route. So, yeah, I think you're right. It really is the lens in which you look at these experiences through that um, really matters. And and you could be so informed and you could, you know, I'm someone that's pretty firm in what I think, but I'm not so firm that facts won't be able to pry, you know, pull me back once I hear them. But some people, you can't tell them anything. Yeah, they never they never want to hear. They don't want they don't want to go through that fear right now, you know. So no matter you could sit there and show them a picture of it, and have one of its hairs and have an autograph, and they would just be like, "Nope, it's fake." Nope. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I think that maybe helps the plight of, you know, our visitors from other places if we're having them, because there's a lot of people that have that, uh, you know, mindset that's not too far from original man still. Right. We can talk better. (laughs) That's about all that's changed. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true, man. Um, I feel like we're entering the second prehistoric age right now, sometimes myself, Mm -hmm. but, um, uh, well talking about, I guess, um, measuring scientifically something. Another topic I find fascinating is, uh, you know, cryptic creatures. Is this something you've ever looked into or have had an experience with? We're talking not like aliens or, or angels, but like a flesh and blood creature that we may have just not discovered yet, or is some sort of missing link. And of course, Bigfoot is the one I always go to, but yeah. Have you ever had any experiences like that? Or what do you think of that whole thing? I think that the theoretical probability of some kind of ape-like creature at this point in time to still not be discovered and, you know, I guess people say that the Bigfoots, they bury each other so no one ever finds them or something. You know, they must do a really good job because at some point you think they might have messed up on one at this point. I think they might just be some you know, some backwoods kind of feral people that have kind of lived up in the woods, you know, for a long time. And, you know, yeah, I don't believe it's going to be like a, like a bottomless snowman and all that stuff. It's, I don't know, because we would have discovered it at, at this point. You know, there's, we have, there's too many trail cameras 
and too many ways that we can catch things. You know, the the you know the mystical eyes in the night now have ways of being illuminated and lit, well lit. So if it was out there at this point, we would have seen something. Like, you know, they say like Loch Ness Monster. I'm sure there might be some big ancient, not ancient, but something that may have survived in the sea is more likely at, at depths where we can't really go to. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And then just because they're living without oxygen, they might have physical deformities that kind of reflect their atmosphere or, you know, their surroundings. But I don't think like Bigfoot and all that stuff. I don't know about that. I think somebody was just trying to like sell some sandwiches. (laughs) Cash in. Well, that's a good point, man. I mean, there's a cultural aspect to all of these things as well. You look at um, like uh, forgetting the area where the Bigfoot was first sighted, but now it's a famous tourist trap. And, in Roswell, mm-hmm. New Mexico, you know, this crash of 1947 is what this town thrives on now. They probably wouldn't have survived the economic downfalls of our country throughout the decades without this one big festival they do every summer that brings like millions of dollars into their town. So mm-hmm. what do you make of that whole thing? It seems like each city and each town has a story that's just begging to be told about. This I mean, it's mankind's, you know, People are greedy at the heart of it mm-hmm. and will monopolize on anything they can get their hands on. So some of these same people that were probably talking junk about, you know, Betty and Barney Hill, they didn't get picked up by any aliens, you know, as they're talking stuff while they're opening their alien store, selling <laughs> alien trinkets and mugs <clears throat> Yeah, at the, new, at the new Aliens Are Us in uh, <laughs> Main Street and <laughs> Roswell. Yeah, but, but I just think that's just people just monopolizing on, you know, people's fears, and and then that goes to discredit it too, you know, and you know. But I, yeah. I have a feeling that within the next five to six years, my gut tells me that we will know something more about what, if I may ask, everything. No, of course no. not. Yeah. Um, I would that hope would not. Be, that would be depressing, yeah. <laughs> that would be depressing, then it'd be boring. Yeah, very true. I think about just increases in science, maybe finding underwater creatures would be something. Mm-hmm. Maybe an underwater city might be something interesting. But I don't really think that mankind is at a point where we could handle finding out there's life on other planets and, and then having that, you know, it's good if we can guess. Yeah. And and wonder, maybe, possibly, hmm, the mystery is cool enough, but I think the reality would scare the shit out of most people. <laughs> uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I always tell people, um, the journey is what gets it for me. That's why I do this show. I'm not here to answer what happened to you when you say you were on board a craft and experimented on or what that cylindrical object was coming out of the ocean. I just want to talk about it. And like have that conversation. So I think you're right, man. I think the the technology and the science we have now is just exploded leaps and bounds. I mean, we just landed on Mars again, which was just an incredible historical moment that in yeah, our lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> they they've been going back and forth there for years. 
I have right. a feeling that there's like a 10-year lag on when things are discovered and then when they actually release the knowledge to the public. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I'm sure that, you know, the internet di- just didn't pop up, you know, and you're like AT&T playing, you know, to say, hey, what's up, internet? Oh, wow, this is cool. They They had that technology before and they utilized it to the point where they thought it was at a point where it would benefit the whole. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, even the powers that be, it's about benefiting the whole at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Luckily, I mean, you're so right, at least when it comes to like the military, you know, sort of the, the idea of the stealth stealth program. Um, mm-hmm. They've been flying those things over the skies for a decade before we found out about them. Just to see if people would see them. That's the point of being. That's that ten years ago. I was telling you about. See? Exactly, man. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think um, there's a lot of suppressed information, whether it comes to UFOs or the supernatural or you know mind control. We know our government has looked into ESP and telekinesis. Like officially, they've looked into it in the past and tried to use it to their advantage. Um, there's so much out there we probably don't know and that they don't want us to know yet. Yet. You know, and they're saying, put the brakes on. But, um, you know, yeah, you know, what do you, you think? Know, Is there a grand cover-up? To, to, to bring this back around, there's no grand cover-up. But I think the truth would be scary as hell. Is, yeah. You know, the truth would be scary as hell because there are too many things that the truth would disrupt. You know, even if the truth was there were, then it's like, now what? Then you have an, a whole new onset of other issues and other fears that will replace that when you just figured out. So yeah. the rabbit hole deepens and deepens and deepens. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd say that, you know, I try to keep an open mind and I let the facts lead me to the truth and not my fears. Yeah. And I think for all your listeners out there, if you do the same thing, let your facts take you where you want to go, not your fear. Because fear will take you some crazy ass places. And it's really, you know, it can be a bad thing. Yeah. But then again, also the fear of not being open enough to welcome these changes in the world if they were to be and welcome these new amazing things that it hopefully one day will be commonplace that we'll be like, you know, living in some space station and races from all over the universe will be hanging out. You know, I love that when science fiction becomes playing science food, fact, right? playing foosball, <laughs> because I'm sure that's exactly what they'd want to do. Yep. That's, that's, that's the priority. I get it, man. Well, um, I guess kind of wrapping things up, Chris, um, have any of these experiences influenced you and your music within your lyrics or, or your compositions? Um, has anything in your life other than, you know, um, a love you once had, or, uh, you know, we all have those ideas of what makes up a song, but have any of these experiences kind of morphed your, uh, and melded into your music? Yes. I think more than something direct more than just the ideology about the questioning and like, and ticking away, it goes 
do you seek the truth? When are you going to? Change is in the, in the air, but does anybody care? <clears throat> that essentially deals with that. It's like, even if you're given the truth, what are you going to do with it? Could you handle it? And so that's how I kind of do it. I would never want to be like, I am an alien named Rob. <laughs> alien <laughs> introduced me to it. was <laughs> got to be a <laughs> bit know. more subtle, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and it's more of just like the, the, the concept of it mm-hmm. that will kind of seep in more. But, you know, as far as the writing, I'm more about the here and now human experience and the love, because I think if, you know, people have love and acceptance, even, you know, things that are somewhere in the skies will be welcomed a lot easier. I love that. I You couldn't have put it more eloquently. Um, live in the moment. God, it's just, it's an incredible place to be, even though the world seems in shambles right now. There's beautiful things happening um, and all around. Be necessary, my friend. Yeah. It had to happen because, unfortunately, society needed a really big mirror to really truly see itself. And the yeah. reflection was quite frightening. But now, people can get over that frightening reflection and start working on, you know, making a better one that they can live with. That they're not afraid with, not afraid of, and doesn't yeah. give fear. One that gives them hope, and one that gives them promise. You know, instead of just paranoia. Well, Chris, I mean, kind of, I guess, encapsulating everything. What do you want people to take away from the album? I mean, for me, it gave me hope. Exactly what you said. From song to song, it just lifted me up. When I, just like many other people out there. I have dark days, man, during all this stuff. And um, your music came at the perfect time for me as an individual, not just as a podcast host interviewing you, but um, I needed it. So Thank you so much. You, my pleasure, man. Um, what do you want people to take away from it? What you did, what you took away. I want, I want it to be like a little journey, you know, for 48 or so minutes, however long it is. And you just put it on, you kind of, it goes in different directions. It kind of has ebbs and flows, dips and dives, high points, intense points, funky points. I just want people to feel it. And at the end of the day, music is healing. And it's the most important universal language we have, the most important language we have. And I feel honored to be you know, to be a musician, to have that as a part of my calling. So it's my honor to bring people music and hopefully, you know, what I bring them will make their hearts warm and entertain them and make them feel hope like you did. You you gave me the best compliment because no one sells a gazillion records anymore. If I can reach a cat that I never met before that was having a bad day and, you know, he had to listen to this record and not only did he like the music, but it affected his mood and maybe put some light on his day. Then man, how do you beat that? Yeah. Well, you, you definitely, yeah, you can. And you did, you, you met one tonight, man. And I know you're going to meet a lot more after people listen to the album. So last question, of course, where can we find the album and everything you're up to, Chris? 
You can find it on all of your online music retailers, Apple Music, uh, Spotify. You can listen to it there. Go. It's it's released on Polychromatic Records. And I'd like to give a shout out to Polychromatic Records and to Ravy PR, all for doing such a fantastic job. And to you, Ryan, and I want to thank you for uh, listening to the record and taking the time to really get what it was about and to really feel it in your heart. That means a lot to me, and I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, Chris. Again, it's the Nevolutionary, Nevolutionaries. Uh, please go check it out, everyone. And like I said, man, it was my honor. I'm so happy we connected. You shared some awesome stories with us. We got to talk about the album, and um, I'm going to go put it on right after we get off here, man. But on, on, the, on the spot, I'm going to ask you. I'd love if we could um, play this episode out with one of your songs from the album. Um, so is there a song? that you want to leave people with. We'll go ahead and uh, we'll put it at the end of this episode. Ariana. Awesome.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.